And welcome back, folks. It's your host, Jeff Shugarts, and this is the Stash It or Pass It podcast, your weekly report for everything crypto, cannabis, and culture. Crypto being our weather report, cannabis, the traffic report, and the anything goes culture report. Now, thank you again so much for being here with us. We have a special edition episode here on the traffic report. We are sitting down with Jason Spatafora. They call him the Wolf of Weed Street, as seen on Forbes, Men's Journal, High Times, Vice, Rolling Stone, Penthouse. You can check him out on Twitter and Instagram, Wolf of Weed Street. He pops in on CNBC as well. We are so excited to sit down with him. He is the CEO, MarijuanaStocks.com, the TrueTradingGroup.com, and this is going to be a treat, my friends. We are going to talk about the Safe Banking Act, the National Defense Authorization Act, cannabis culture, cannabis industry, cannabis stocks, you name it. We are drilling down and we are having some fun today. We cannot wait. That's going to be on the traffic report. And on the weather report, we're going to do a little quick rundown, a little synopsis of what's going on out there. And on the culture report, we are giving thanks and grace. But before we get it kicked off, I want to give a special birthday shout out to our guy, Dr. B. He is one of my best friends. Reed Brimmer, thank you so much. And happy birthday, my friend. I couldn't have done this show without you. And I don't know if I'd be here without you as well, my friend. He is turning 33 years old. And I let him know that is when Jesus really started to expand his footprint, if you will. But I said, don't go starting a cult now, Reed. But no, just kidding. We love Jesus. But I love Reed so much. Thank you again so much, my friend. Happy birthday. And now it's time, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle up. Get ready. It's going to be a hell of a ride. And we're back, folks, here live on the Traffic Report, sitting down with my man, Dr. B, in the Wolf of Weed Street himself, Jason Spatafore, as seen in Forbes, Men's Journal, High Times, Penthouse, Vice, Rolling Stones, just to name a few. You can check them out on Twitter and Instagram, Wolf of Weed Street, MarijuanaStocks.com, True Trading Group. Hey, thank you so much for being here, my friend. How are you doing today? How is your week? What's going on? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, good to be here. You know, even though I'm here with a Buckeye, which is sacrilegious in my, in my house, but it has more to do with Irving Meyer than anything else. Um, yeah, you know, status quo week, um, staying nimble as everybody should be. Um, yeah. That's right. We love to hear it, man. As we always talk about the multi-state operators, the MSO gang, we were big followers of Jason. He's always chopping it up on Twitter. And uh, sitting here with Dr. B, also want to give him a shout out. He is 33, same age as Jesus when he started taking over the world. So happy birthday, my friend. And he has a lot of great questions. We're just going to dive right into it from safe banking, the cannabis prohibition, the more act, you know, we're just going to fucking get after it. So Reed, what do you got for us, my friend? And so let's start off with, uh, I know there's been talk of uh, safe banking getting included in the uh, NDAA. Um, I don't know if that's that's something that seems like it's probably a long shot. Um, but yeah, let's get your thoughts on that. And is safe banking something that, you know, we're going to be waiting for it to get thrown in on, a, on, a, on larger legislation so Democrats can get a, a, an election time boost? 
I'm closer to the 2022 midterms. Um, um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, it was supposed, you know, it, look, um, safe banking's passed the house five times. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Schumer, you know, uh, had, has a safe bill, um, you know, with Booker, the uh, CAOA, yeah. it's really, you know, it's what I call the unicorn bill, you know, because unicorns don't exist. And you've got a, um, a Senate that is pretty much split down the middle. Um, you know, Republicans are all for the banking aspect. They're mm-hmm. not really for all of the other stuff. Um, and it's just because the banking is just a much easier sell to the base, right? So they, you know, they kind of snuck it into the NDAA, um, you know, had to go to Congress, Congress uh, slipped it in. Um, and Booker and Schumer and, and Wyden were like, you know, we'll go against this. We're, you know, we're not going to include it in the Senate uh, version of the National Defense Authorization Act, you know, a bill that's passed um, in consecutive, like 60 consecutive years. Um, but there has been a lot of pressure on Booker and Schumer. And, and you know, I, I think that their hearts are in the right places when they say, you know, we, we don't want people arrested. Uh, we want, you know, records to be expunged. Um, and everybody that is, you know, whether you're an investor in cannabis, a user, or just somebody at the sidelines, I think everybody can agree that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is just kind of, it comes down to a little bit of math, right? You know, you've got, I think something like 2,600 um, people in federal prison for some kind of cannabis um, uh, infraction or not really infraction. You're in federal prison. You're basically hauling an 18 wheeler over state lines. You had a busted tail light. You got busted. Okay. Well, don't break the law, don't get caught. Or, you know, if you're going to break the law, don't get caught. Yeah. Um, you know, their bill or their version of the bill does nothing at the state level, which is where everything is at, where right. all the, you know, the, the records are um, that need to be expunged. So, you know, it, it's kind of disingenuous and, you know, safe banking, you know, with this social equity um, aspect that they're trying to push is kind of a red herring because of everything that I just uh, stated. So, you know, what we're seeing now is everybody from the IRS to Janet Yellen to trade organizations say, look, we need safe banking, right? And Schumer and Booker have backed themselves into a corner. Mm -hmm. So they need some kind of cover fire. Right. Um, Look, Biden um, and and I don't want to make this into a political uh, show, but, you know, part of what Biden said when he was trying to get elected, you know, we want to decriminalize it. We want to expunge records, all this stuff with a stroke of a pen. He can solve Booker and Schumer's problem, give them cover fire. That way they don't have egg on their face. Um, You know, yesterday, Alexandria 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yep. and Rep. Dave Joyce from Ohio, yep. um, you know, came out with uh, a proposal for a bill to expunge records um, at a state level and leave it up to the states as it should be. Right. You know? The HOPE so, Act. Yeah. So, you know, you know, one of the things that Schumer and Booker said, which is also just complete bullshit, it's, oh, we don't want to create these oligopolies of big corporate um, entities. The fact is, the longer they keep safe out of the hands of um, smaller operators or minorities trying to right. get loans, the barrier for entry just gets that much bigger. Yep. And they, he is essentially making the big companies even bigger, you know? And it's, it's also disingenuous. I mean, look, these companies employ tens of thousands of people pay a ridiculous amount in tax because of 280E, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, and they're being portrayed as the villains. It's, it's just kind of nonsense. So, you know, what's going to happen with safe banking is, you know, we're going to know in the next two weeks because um, it's going to get kicked to Congress. It's going to go to what's called conference. And they're going to probably keep it in. There's, you know, Schumer's office is under an incredible amount of pressure. All of his constituents that were all gung ho about, um, you know, his stance on marijuana have completely flipped on him. He mm -hmm. has lost that that base of voters and the GOP. I mean, they see the writing on the wall like you know, yeah. cannabis is in 83% of the United States. There's only two states that don't have it. Um, there's a lot of money in taxation. They're not gonna, they're not gonna do anything to the jobs because it's the fastest job creator in the United States. Okay. And you know, because of the way things are set up, it doesn't even make it onto the job numbers. But the expansion is. Um, it's wild. It's it's been outpacing manufacturing and all of these niche sectors for years, um, and you know we, we still have a wildly big black market. So I think say look, safe banking is not a matter of 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 if but when, right? right? Um, but you know the fact is, as an investor, this you know safe banking was never part of your glossary of terms, you know, this time last year, nobody was talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, and when I talked about it, I always looked at safe banking, 280E, descheduling, uplist, legalization as gravy. Uh, at the end of the day, these companies are generating stupid amounts of cash flow. Yeah. They are self-funding. Well, the, the, the tier one companies are self-funding. It's not like they're going to, to zero. You know, their cost of capital is going down, which, you know, in the equities market, this would be the first time where your cost of debt goes down and the stock goes down. It's supposed to go the other way. Right. Um, and, you know, there's no better example of that than, than real estate. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, safe banking, you know, it, it'd be great if uh, they got it resolved in the next two weeks, but you can't bank on um, politicians, um, you know, to just, I mean, like they were just botching the NDAA. Um, right. You know, there's, it, you, you've got 
such tight numbers and everybody wants their little piece. So, you know, if it happens now or if it happens in Q1, it doesn't change the story at all. Right. Yeah, just to uh, just to speak a little on what you were saying, too, and this is just more kind of on kind of the energy and the trends around it, like even with some of the younger politicians and the younger leaders and seeing how this is a really a bipartisan issue where you have a young leader like AOC, you know, working with like a representative from Ohio where you have, you know, like the Nancy Maces of the world in South Carolina, you know, who just introduced like an incredible bill as well. And it's just showing across party lines and then, you know, polls that are coming out showing like 90 over 90 percent of Americans, no matter what party they're on, you know, have, uh, you know, feelings towards legalization, decriminalization to some to some level. And uh, and also just what you're saying with the expansion of, uh, you know, the job growth, things like that. You know, I've never necessarily thought about it in, in terms of that, like how you broke it down. But I was just out in Oklahoma at a at a farm called uh, Dabbergrass Farms where, you know, I mean, they're harvesting a couple hundred thousand pounds that are coming out. And to think about, you know, how much cash that is and that cash, that cash can't go into a bank. I mean, that's that's insane. And, you know, and they're working with some of the uh, largest brands like when it comes to cookies or Sherbinsky. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just uh, it's pretty incredible um, when you see that, too, you know, firsthand when I was seeing, you know, all the people there, all the people that were coming there and, uh, you know, immigrants, people that were new to this country coming from all over the country to Oklahoma to participate in that. And then as far as all the local businesses that were involved when it came to the machinery, the factories, the, uh, you know, everything, um, the farm equipment. But uh, but yeah, so uh, Reed, I'm sure you have something to say as well. No, yeah. I mean, as far as um, creating creating jobs, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing else that's really even on par right now. Um, so it definitely is a win-win for both parties. And I do see the Republicans starting to sneak in a little bit. Like, all right, most of our constituents support it. Um, why don't we try to steal some of the shine from the Democrats? Um, yeah, and I think those, the longer it takes for Schumer and, and Booker to get something done, um, you know, the, the, the more it hurts them. Uh, do you think part of it is them trying to hold out to pass a comprehensive bill before the midterms? I, you know, I, look, um, I think that the Democrats are going to get their asses handed to them in the midterms. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm somebody that um, I donate to both parties. Um, you know, like I have friends or people I consider friends that are in Congress. And, you know, look, the, the, the reality is, is, you know, even the, the people that are operators, you know, within that space, whether it be Democrat or Republican, you know, the people that are raising money, the people that are running PACs, um, you know, they're realistic. You know, it's not a soundbite for them. Right. It's, hey, we're fucking up, you know? This is what, you know, we've really botched this. We didn't think, you know, I, you know, especially for the Democrats, um, I think that, you know, they, they gave, they, they, they got a little too familiar with the base in the set, you know, the base of people that were supporters of cannabis. Um, but the, you know, that base of people has been, is pretty fed up. You know, it's been years where they said, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's 
It's overpromise and underdeliver. Yep. And now it's having an impact on people's savings, you know, people's, um, you know, the, the opportunity that's yep. there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they, they can try and sneak it in. But, it, you know, I, I think at that point, it's too late. And they need to, you know, kind of put this behind them as quick as possible. You know, uh, tactically, if, you know, if, if I was um, somebody working behind the scenes, um, like a Karl Rove type for the Democrats, yeah. this is exactly what I would be doing. You know, and, and when the Koch brothers with Americans for Prosperity start writing bills like they did with Nancy Mace, like, you know, you're in trouble oh, because yeah. the one thing that the Republicans have that the Democrats don't, it's they've got people that will throw money at issues and, and not just a little money, a lot of money, you know, and you, you can't fight that. And then on top of it, you lose the people that have been your supporters. Right. You know, look, if you're an investor, this is a, this is a serious wedge issue for you. Right. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it creates some volatility in the market, but it also doesn't, um, it, you know, the, the, it doesn't hurt the fundamentals, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, like for me, like I take the approach of like the glass is always half full because I've been through this before. Um, you know, I've been investing in pot stocks since 2013. You know, yeah. you're going to have a hard time finding anybody that was right. doing it in 2013 yeah, no. um, and paying attention to the nuance and, and, and yeah. understanding like, the, the psychology of the market. Um, you know, for me, this is what makes cannabis great. This type of volatility where you have this huge run huge pullback, huge run, huge pullback. And, you know, we've seen the same thing in Canada with the LPs, mm -hmm. you know, in 2016, um, you know, I'll give you an, uh, for instance. So Aurora, which is a garbage company now, right? <laughs> right. You know, I, I bought that thing at like 89 cents the first time I bought it and I sold it at three bucks. Um, it went a little bit higher. It, by the summer of 2017, it was a dollar. Yeah. So it dropped 70%. So I, re I reload it. It goes from a dollar to 10. Yeah. I sell it, get back in the following summer at like five bucks, you know, just not deploying any of my money, just using what the market gives you. Right. And, you know, people can't complain about being able to front run the institutions, the funds, and, and everybody that wants to get in the space. And for the, what I mean by that, for the people that are listening and they're like, what the hell is this fucking guy talking about? Basically, institutions can't purchase pot stocks right now for a, a bunch of reasons. Um, either the bank that they're using won't custody it, meaning they won't hold the security, or they have liquidity restrictions, meaning they need to buy something that trades a lot of volume, yeah. 100 million right. bucks a day. Right. You, you can't find, if you took the top five um, US companies, they haven't traded $100 million in a month. Yeah. So 
Mm-hmm. They're waiting. They want to. I know this because I sit on calls with them. Um, you know, they each of these funds has a dedicated analyst to this, and they also don't mind buying higher. And when they are able to come in, you're going to see just this wild rush. Um, prices get to astronomical levels and then find equilibrium. So you can't complain about getting in before them and then complain about the price, right? You can complain if the company that you're investing in, and let's say you buy it at 20, and you know, it was making 200 million a quarter, and now it's making 100 million a quarter, where for the top tier companies, you know, the prices are pretty much where they were last year, yet the companies are doing twice, if not more the revenue. So fundamentals have improved. Um, A lot of things have improved. But when you have 96% um, retail ownership of these, and retail is basically comprised of a bunch of idiots that are chasing (laughs) shiny objects and trying to trade these things, Uh, you're going to have a price that doesn't match up. Yeah. Does that make sense? So in your opinion, what is uh, most critical to, to getting institutions involved and, and being able to invest? Is 280E being repealed? The, the no, biggest, the biggest no it's, you know, look, safe banking is going to open a lot of those doors, um, but it, it, it's really up, it's to the discretion of the bank. Um, okay. So like, you know, JP Morgan put out a note, right. hey, you can't have pot stocks. But really what I think that they want to do there is just kind of absolve themselves. That way, when they go to FinCEN, that's, you know, financial crimes, like anti-money laundering, all that stuff. They say, look, this is what we did. Are we compliant? Right. Because they want to house this, you know, you know, last year in, in, in March, um, a, a fund that had hundreds of millions of dollars in these MSOs was forced to liquidate. I remember that. Yeah, that was a rough uh, Wasatch, you know, and that put a tremendous amount of pressure. They they essentially sold the top though. So they're, I know they're dying to get back in, you know, they basically come in by the same amount and it's risk-free. So yeah, you know, it's, it's really a custody issue with the banks, Um, but institutions can come in you know, via private sales, um, you know, going directly to the company. And, and, and that's where you see that 4% ownership right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was going to ask where, where is that 4% ownership? That's not retail. Um, yeah. So I guess let's, um, shoot, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank. You guys here. all right. I'm, I'm hitting you with a lot of stuff. Right <laughs> no, now. you're good. Process and all this. This is great though. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I guess with 280E, that, that's because it's, it's, it's enforced because cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, correct? Correct. Um, and is that is the fact that it is Schedule One part of why institutions don't want to touch it because you're... you're um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. You know, um, they, you know, they don't want um, the bad look, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're not going to... Yeah, they're not going to trade a company that, you know, sells cocaine. <laughs> um, and even though most of these guys, you know, either do cocaine or, or <laughs> smoke weed, yeah. um, 
you know, they, they, they can't, they don't want that exposure because remember that a lot of these banks are dealing with a lot of old money, Exactly. Right? Yeah. you know, so, but 280E, <clears throat> I mean, 280E is going to just be a, a huge fight because the only way 280E really happens um, um, unless there is um, some kind of serious guidance um, from FinCEN, like the DOJ, whatever. I mean, you know, we basically need a rewrite of the coal memo, um, but we need descheduling, right? Yeah. So we need to make cannabis a schedule two drug in order right. for 280E to function. Now, you know, we all think that it's ridiculous, but, you know, if you think that the people lobbying against safe banking are tough, you know, now you're talking about fighting the pharma lobby. Right. That, wants nothing else but to keep cannabis absolutely a schedule one drug because... i say i say oh sorry oh no go you ahead go. no i was just gonna say i bring stuff like that up all the time when you know you see different politicians talking about how high drug prices are and prescription drugs i'm like yeah there's a great uh solution for that you know in cannabis prohibition i mean because you can just see even from uh from the list in the Estates Reform Act, like when you're talking about, you know, the veterans being denied, you know, their services at the VA because they'd rather use plant derived alternatives. And uh, the same thing, like when you see that, you know, public housing is being denied to people that are prescribed cannabis in legal states, you know, by the, uh, the federal government. And it's like, I always think about it like that, too, as far as the pharmaceutical lobbies and whatnot, like the last thing they ever want to happen is for this to be, you know, completely legalized or uh, completely decriminalized. So sorry to cut you off there, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's just kind of the, the hypocrisy is just alarming because if you ever did that to Congress, said okay, well we're going to deny you your congressional benefits if you test positive for marijuana, you know, I'd say a third of Congress would lose those benefits. Right? Should I smoke? I've smoked weed with a congressman before, you know. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> so, so like, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's just kind of silly. But you know, like, if let's say in a perfect world, 280e does pass, right? So you know, what's the juice about 280e? So the way 280e functions, it's about you know, it has everything to do with taxation. So a marijuana company cannot take normal business deductions yeah. like you know, uh, Marketing target, or, for example. Yeah. Okay. So if, if let's say Target was under 280E, they'd be paying like 80% effective tax rate, which is what these cannabis companies are paying right yeah. now. So if, you know, let's say uh, TrueLeave, you know, last year paid over $100 million in taxes. Okay. Jesus. Cut that down, you know, by, you know, make it 20%. And allow for deductions, those fucking guys are getting money back. Right. Right. So that's a game changer overnight. Um, for the, I mean, you know, if there was an executive order for 280E, you could basically throw 30% on every one of these companies. Um, so yeah, it's it's huge. You know, eventually it gets resolved because you know it gets to the point where um you know, everybody's going to end up with weed, you know, like after New York and New Jersey get their act together and they start selling recreational weed, 
the, the you're going to start seeing huge change because the money that Wall Street and you know everybody looking across the river is seeing pile into this. Right. You know, everybody is going to uh, um, to start gravitating to it. And and you know, look, you still have a lot of people that don't understand the industry. You know, they look at a chart and they're like, "Oh, this is terrible." Um, but if you said if you if you gave them nothing else, right? If you just gave them a bunch of um, financials, right? You put like tech company, materials company, cannabis company, and you just had like a graph of their growth and their revenue and their cost of debt and everything. You you know like there isn't one analyst or fund manager that wouldn't be eyeing the cannabis company because you can't find growth like that anywhere yet you're 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 basically you've got nine quarters or ten quarters of consecutive growth with an expanding tam or total addressable market um and and that's with a black market that right. conservatively is worth a hundred billion dollars. You know, they're saying U.S. cannabis is a twenty billion dollar market right now. You know, if you took the market caps of all of the um, the top companies, it's forty billion dollars. You know, there's right. you know there's companies out there that have never put out a product. You know, that right. are, have market caps of over a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of crazy, but again, that's the opportunity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is. I, sorry, go ahead, Jay. I was to say this is a little bit in that wheelhouse, just when we we're talking about taxes and whatnot, because this is something we brought up on the show. You know, in regards to let's say, you know, in the Moore Act, there was something like a twenty-five percent additional federal tax compared to let's say the States Reform Act, where it was a three percent tax, and when we're talking about you know, even getting people, you know, out of jail federally and, you know, in the state side of it. And then people that are in the traditional market or the black market, trying to incentivize them to come to the legal market. You know, how, what's your opinions on things like that when it comes to taxes? I mean, cause you know, when you just look at it for what it is, it's like, well, yeah, if you're going to tax the shit out of it, like, you know, I always bring up like, you know, look at coffee, right? Like, yeah, Starbucks wouldn't give a shit. McDonald's wouldn't give a shit, but like your mom and pop shop, like they can't afford to pay that. Yeah, it, it, it just shows you the level of stupidity um, that is going into writing this. It's like they passed it off to an intern or maybe even, you know, like a congressional page, uh, which are basically kids um, <laughs> to, say, to say, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's think of a random number. OK, you know, corpus 20, let, let's, you know, 24 percent, 25 percent, not realizing, you know, you do this. And you're going to have everybody in the, that selling illegal weed, like jerking off to your bill. You know, you think you have a problem with the black market now, right? You basically just incentivize them. You've given them a whole new uh, group of consumers because nobody is going to go and pay a hundred dollars for an eighth when they can get it from some, you know, their buddy, that's 45 minutes late for 40 bucks. You <laughs> right. know? Like it's just, it's, it's not happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it also doesn't take into consideration that 
you know, different states have different, you know, excise taxes. So, you know, try tacking on, um, you know, 24% federally and then buying weed in California, um, you you know, now you're buying an eighth for 125 bucks, you know, it's nuts. So they, they just kind of threw this together. Um, and it, it just kind of shows you like where their heads are at, right? You know, I, you can learn a lot by the way that, you know, some of the things that they insert into these bills. And you can see that these people just have no, no like yeah. sense of like up and right. down. You know, it, it's just not real. It, it's not a realistic approach, you know. And look, Canada's market wants to be regulated, you know. Right. Uh, more regulation is better, but it's got to be, you know, based on logic, Tons, not yeah. unicorns and, and fucking rainbows. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I mean, we've talked about it before. It seems like the federal government's way too late in the game to be stepping in and saying, all right, well, we're, there's already municipal taxes, you know, state and local taxes, and then hell, we'll throw on another 25%. You know, it just makes no sense. What other you know, what other industry is taxed like that? Um, so the bill, it does seem like a dude in the seventies, like Chuck Schumer put together the whole thing, um, just out of touch. And yeah. And, 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 you know, also think of it this way, right. For states like Illinois, right. So Illinois, I don't know, last six months, consecutive months, cannabis sales have eclipsed, uh, cannabis taxes have eclipsed alcohol taxes. Yeah. That's, incredible now you you know like they love this money you know illinois is thinking about doing some kind of like cannabis bond um because the money is just coming in like crazy all you're gonna do is piss off the states because now they're gonna get less money from taxation um and you know and yeah then alcohol is like hey we're making more in taxes great but they're giving up all this free money and you know, they, they can't just take out a calculator um, and do some easy math. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. I know I saw Illinois, I want to say in October, they had already brought in over a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah. They're doing a hundred million a month. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, the next thing we can really lean into, because we brought up, you know, the Canadian LPs. And, you know, even them entering into the U.S. market, like if you see or what are your opinions on trends like that? Because we've talked about on the show where their success is based on like really our laws. I mean, and right now, even with our laws, you know, those five, six multi-state operators that are kind of pinholed into uh, their states, you know, if the the laws didn't change, they're still going to be producing, still be selling and whatnot. But these Canadian companies who are like the fucking... uh, what are they, uh, the wall street bet guys and whatnot and all that shit going on. Like those companies are like trash. And then you turn on CNBC. Those are the ones that they're fucking pumping. Cause it's like, they're technically legal. So I'm like, what is going on? They're like, Oh, look at this beautiful, like dispensary in Canada. I'm like, bro, like they're all over the, they're way better in America. So, I mean, just, uh, you know, kind of your yeah. opinion on that, the trends. I mean, and- yeah, I've got, I definitely have an opinion <clears throat> on that. So, um, you know, a, a, as much as I can knock the Canadian sector right now, um, I, I do have to say that, you know, um, that run um, w- created a lot of wealth across the board. It mm-hmm. also broke 
a lot of spirits and a lot of people saw like, you know, millions of dollars in profit dwindle down to nothing um, because of the hope, right? So in 2018, um, in October, right before Canada went legal, I exited 80% of my, uh, my pot stocks, right? You know, and it was just kind of like, hey, that you know, there's these trends like sell the news. Um, and then after legalization, it becomes an execution story. On top of that, you know, like that following week, and I was planning on getting back in, like slowly looking for like a 30% dip, try and ride the, you know, ride that dip into January. Well, then Powell spoke for the first time and talked about raising interest rates. And then the whole market just kind of cracked. Right. So, you know, and then did well with the rest that I had, you know, some of the stuff that I bought. And then in March, I got out completely. Um, and not only got out, but then went short, uh, went short Aurora, went short Kronos, went short the MJ ETF. And then comes the summer. And I'm thinking it's going to be like every other summer, right? Um, where, you know, the dip gets bought and then we, we go on this wild run. But I was sitting on so much cash that I could go and buy like five times my position. Um, if not more. And I was like, man, I was like, I, I need a second opinion. Right. And so that's what I did. I went and I got a second opinion and I paid for it. I paid for the research. And then after seeing the research, I was just kind of like, dude, you dodged the biggest bullet because if I had seen this research, you know, like in the previous year, I would have been completely out and then right. just gone. Yeah. So, you know, what ended up happening in Canada was you had all these companies that had access to cheap money, um, you know, and an investor base that thought, you know, uh, these, these things are only going to go up. The ride is just going to continue. This is part of the cycle. Not realizing that at some point, you've got to grow weed and sell weed. Yeah. So on top of that, they were building these huge greenhouses. They were buying stuff in Europe for hundreds of millions of dollars using stock. I mean, Canopy bought Tokyo Smoke, which was a dispensary, which didn't even have a license to sell weed. They paid $400 million for basically one dispensary. Okay. They were buying stuff in Europe and, and, and it made sense because they buy something in Europe, the thing, the thing rips, you know, and you, you know, they, they spend 200 million bucks of stock or 500 million bucks in stock and they get like 500 million in market cap that day. So it made a lot of sense. Yeah. But then Health Canada basically came in and was like, you can't advertise. Um, we're going to create this lottery system for dispensaries. Um, we're going to do all this stuff. And they basically handcuffed them. So now they have all these giant warehouses, all this, you know, the, the huge operational expense and capital expense, you know, all the debt. Um, and then the banks started shutting off the money, mm -hmm. right? So now they're having to raise money at lower prices, which dilutes the company. And, you know, the, the craziest thing was, and, and this was part of some of the data that I got back because I wanted a comparison with some U S states 
and um, you know, like the average spend of consumers. And the thing that stood out to me was the amount of dispensaries. Okay, so the model in the United States, are, it's basically the Colorado model. It's for every 10,000 people, you have one dispensary, right? So Canada has a population of like 37 million. Yep. And at the time that I got this data, they had like 120 dispensaries Damn. for 37 wow. million people. Damn. And in the places that had the most population, like um, Ontario and Quebec, Ontario had 29 dispensaries and Quebec had like 30 dispensaries. The only one That's that had crazy. the most dispensaries was Alberta. Right. But that's because, you know, their oil industry dried up and they were just like, yeah, build them, build yeah. them. But right. all the money, even with 30 dispensaries, Ontario was producing the most money. Now, all of these LPs are based in Ontario that, you know, for the most part, because power is cheaper there. <laughs> um, so what ends up happening is they have no place to sell it. And the people that were in the black market, like one of my friends owns uh, this dispensary, or, you know, at least he did. It was called Bliss in Toronto. He had insurance for when he got raided by the cops to bail oh. his employees out. He yeah. would basically have a pop-up store ready the next day. Right. The black market, because of what Health Canada did, thrived, right? right? So then you've got them... Now they're finally growing weed and they're having to convert it to oil because there's nowhere to sell it. But here's the crazy thing. They didn't allow for these companies to sell oils Damn. up until like two years after legalization. Right. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Oh, so this went bad. So all of these companies basically accrued massive, massive amounts of debt. I mean, you can't find a company, you, you know, Canopy, a billion, over a billion dollars in debt and write downs. Tilray, Afria, same thing. Right. You know, now they're like, oh, well, you know, we've got Europe. You still, you know, like the only way Europe's going to work for you is if you shut down your operation in Canada. Right. And just, you know, do that. Like what the Canadian LP should have done was close down shop in 2018 and then just buy options on the MSOs, right? So the main question is, are they going to enter the US market? No. Okay. okay. The only way that they're gonna be able to enter the US market is by buying options on shitty companies like Tilray did with MedMen, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right? right? So, you know, Canopy has an option on Terrasend and Acreage, okay? Those were good options to buy when they when they bought. Well, Terrasend was, Acreage, not so much. But it's contingent on legalization. I got right. news for you. Legalization is going to be a while, yeah. okay? So, you know, if they want to, yeah, and Bruce Linton, who's the former uh, CEO of Canopy, said, you know, they should delist from the New York Stock Exchange um, and the TSX, you know, go on the CSE. That way they can make investments into the U.S. companies, right? But, right. you know, it's a double-edged sword because really the only thing they have going for them is that they trade on major exchanges. Yeah. Right. You know, to, to put it in perspective, um, 
I think Canopy did somewhere like $170 million in revenue. Like called less. I know it was a quarter that was like 170. And then Cureleaf did 317. Canopy trades at a higher multiple, right? Has positive margins, doesn't have a billion dollars in debt. The only difference is that the US companies don't trade on a major exchange and they're in an inefficient market, you know? Right. And, and that's why what makes them so enticing because eventually that, that gets solved. You know, you've got companies making a billion dollars a year, you know? Right. So, like, I think Canopy, the most money that they made last quarter came from subsidies from the Canadian government because of COVID. It's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. So, you know, know, for people that are like, oh, the drinks, it, it, that shit ain't happening. Yeah. You know, you've got legalization, you've got interstate commerce. Um, you know, who are they going to buy? Because a tier one company is not going to sell out to right. Canopy. What are they going to do? Take stock? They're mm. not going to take stock. You know, well, oh, we're going to take Canopy stock that shouldn't be valued anywhere near where it's valued or Kronos or Sundial. Right. So, you know, a, a lot of what you see, you know, in the Canadian market is just hope. Right. And hope yeah. isn't a strategy, you know, when right. you're investing in anything. Right. I know for a fact, too, a lot of that, uh, those big busts that are going down across the uh, border in Buffalo. I mean, I feel like that's all the weed they can't sell in Canada. They're bringing it over here on the black market, taking it down to, you know, places like North and South Carolina. But, uh, but yeah, Reed, what else you got on the uh, on the docket? Uh, there? I was just going to say, uh, I, I heard Berner, the the owner of Cookies, he had said uh, Canopy tried to buy cookies from him a couple years back, but they offered him like 300 million and and canopy stock and he said he ended up turning it down because you know what the fuck is the real value of that you know it's hard to really gauge um but yeah, yeah. you know I, I i wanted to ask you though so you said you started investing around 2013 and the cannabis space mm -hmm. um what what do you remember what your some of your first buys were um what yeah the, I, I didn't even know what the fuck was yeah i I, I, I remember the first company i bought was this company the symbol was mwip it was, um, it was supposed to be, um, so the way it went down was I saw the attorney general, Eric Holder at the time, talk about, I was home from work and he was talking about, you know, how the Department of Justice wasn't going to go after states with legal cannabis, as long as they followed like these eight guidelines. And, you know, one of them was with payment processing and, you know, all of this stuff. And so I was like, wow, is, that, is this like a thing? Like is pot stocks a thing? So I went to Google and I went to this website called marijuanastocks.com, which yeah, he used to get on there. Yeah. Yeah. A, year, a year later, um, me and uh, two of my uh, friends ended up buying it. Oh. Um, the symmetry was perfect, right? So I was like, oh, this company solves, uh, you know, payment processing stuff. Or I'm like, oh, it's a penny stock. I was like, how the hell do I buy a penny stock? Right. Right. Um, and I had a Scott trade account. And so I was like, okay. Um, it was five cents. So I was like, okay, cool. So I, I bought it. I bought like 10,000 shares. I bought like 500 bucks. And two days later, it went up like 50%. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, and I was like, still fairly new to investing. And I was buying like, 
you know, National Bank of Greece, like distressed assets. I was buying like water companies uh, and doing pretty well with like my my whole, you know, what's the world going to need in 10 years? And then I was like, oh, weed falls into this category. And the thing went up 50%. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is amazing. And then two days later, it dropped 50%. So I ended up losing um, 150 bucks. <laughs> I was like, okay, I need to, I need to uh, get, you know, uh, you know, start looking at this because this volatility, is, it's, I, you know, I love the buzz of it. And I was like, you know, still really wet behind the ears. I didn't understand toxic debt or anything. Then the next company I bought was this company called Grow Life for like four cents. Um, and it, it didn't touch the plant. It made like hydroponics, lights, irrigation systems, um, and nobody touched the plant. And I stuck with that for a while. And then, you know, Canada went, um, Colorado went legal and, you know, my four cents and I started just selling my other stuff and buying more grow life, more grow life. So I, I ended up amassing like a pretty big position. Um, cause it was four cents right. and you know, it, it went to like 75 cents pulled back. And then I was like, all right, I need to sell some, I sold some. And then I started putting it into different things. Like I started looking for company. I, I looked for, um, there was a company called Medbox, right. And everybody talked about Medbox cause it went from $2 to 200 in a day. All right. Damn. And what people forget to mention is that the volume was only 1400 shares, right? But then everybody was talking about it. And the next day it was trading at like a hundred, yeah. you know? So I looked for this company that had like um, a weed, like a vending machine. And this thing was like a penny. Damn. So I started buying that. That went to like 10, 11 cents. I sold that. And then I started looking for vape companies um, and, you know, all the vape companies had these crazy market caps. So I started looking for vape companies that nobody had heard of that had like minuscule market caps, like $5 million, but were doing more revenue than the company that $150 million right. market. So I found one of those and it was double zero four. And in <laughs> the next three months, that thing went to 45 cents and to put that in perspective. Oh. I bought a million shares of that. Holy shit. Four grand. <laughs> Right. And it went to 45 cents. A million shares times 45 cents is $450,000. Damn. So that's kind of like, but, you know, and then I'd love to say I sold the top. I was with somebody in an afternoon and my phone's blown up. The thing dropped and I, I lost like 200 grand in like 15 minutes. Damn. So it was nuts. But it was like, you know, I, I, I always look at it as, you know, the total amount of money that I put into the market was like 10 grand, well, probably a little bit less, but 10 is a round number. And, you know, I've been living off of that money since 2013, you oh, know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a wild time. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely got um, lucky in, in a lot of respects, um, you know, but, you know, like timing is important. Um, and then realizing that, hey, um, you know, I dodged a couple of bullets here. Like I went on my honeymoon and I was holding all these penny socks right. and I was going to Thailand and Cambodia in like uh, April. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to just sell. And um, 
you know, I could always buy back. Yeah. And while I'm in Thailand and Cambodia, the, the bubble burst. No. I'm saying like 80% Damn. in that span. And I was like, whoa. Like I almost went down to back to like nothing. Yeah. Right? Like, to like 10 grand um, with some of these things. So I was like, all right, I need to kind of, you know, hone my skills and, and start to learn a little bit more. Um, and, you know, that really came with investing in like real companies and then right. looking for companies like, you know, GW Pharma and, and biotech companies, which for the next like years is pretty much where I made my bones. Okay. So yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was absolutely wild. Yeah, that's a great, great origin story. Unreal. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think it's great to hear, too, because, you know, I've seen it in uh, some of your other interviews and stuff, kind of just talking about this buy and hold forever culture. You know, I know you've been, um, you know, I, I forgot who was uh, who you're on with, but, you know, I thought it was important to like maybe bring up today. And uh, this is uh, we talk about a little doobs and don'ts. And I thought one would be, you know, just asking you about that or you know, what's something you know now that you wish you knew when you first started investing? And then also just to talk about that buy and hold forever culture, because, you know, I think there's something to be said about that, uh, especially with some of the crypto stuff and whatnot, too, where, you know, you got to sell some top, at, uh, take some profits at times and then, you know, sit back and analyze or use that time to uh, to learn more. But would love to uh, hear your opinion on that. Yeah. I, you know, look, especially with cannabis, um, you know, th this thing, it's, it's an emerging market, so it's going to be volatile, right? right? Now, you know, I always hear the, hey, I'm, I'm going to, you know, like if their stock is getting crushed, they're like, I'm in it for five years. And I was like, dude, it just was at three bucks. Now it's at a dollar. Why wouldn't you sell some? You could always come back in, buy more. You know, if you sell a thousand shares at three, you can buy 3000 at one, right. Yeah. You know, and you take all the risk off of the table. Right. Right. So one of the things that I do, and I, I, I talked about this, I did a podcast with uh, Tim Seymour and Guy Adami um, last November. And, you know, I have, you know, as I've gotten better at this and as my portfolio has grown, it's not as easy to just blow out of a position, right? right. Um, you know, also there's tax consequences and th there's a bunch of stuff. Right. And as long as the fundamentals are intact, um, like I don't mind being a long-term holder, right. but at the same time, I know that these things are gonna give me range. So what I do is I implement a system of 80-20. So there's 80% of my position that I will not touch, okay? While there's liquidity, while like the trading's good. And then that 20% is what I play with, right? So now I use E-Trade. So E-Trade allows me to go and select individual lots. So when I was getting range from July till February on the US pop uh, market, I was selling, you know, 20%, not in one chunk, you know, in little chunks, right. sell a thousand shares, it would drop 50 cents. I would buy 500. I'd wait to see maybe it drops a little bit more. Then I buy another 500. I wasn't buying more stock. I was buying the same amount. Yep. What I was doing was 
pocketing the difference. You know, when you sell a thousand shares at 10 bucks and then you're able to rebuy that thousand shares at like a 925 average, you just made 750 bucks. Yeah. And you put that money off to the side and you wait just in case when there's going to be some kind of headline risk or whatever. So I'm doing this and I'm just flipping it. Now, on top of it, that money is providing me insurance on my position. So, you know, say my entry on a stock is $10, okay? And I've got 10,000 shares, all right? Now it goes to 11, all right? And I sell 2,000 shares at 11. Okay, well, it drops back down to 10. And I just buy those 2,000 shares back. What's you know, at what point do I break even? I can tell you my break even at that point is nine bucks, right? Because right. I've taken like, actually, no, it's not nine bucks. It's nine fifty. You know, I've taken like um, two grand and that's my buffer. Now, yeah. if you do this over time, all of a sudden your break even just goes lower and lower and lower. And then when there's some kind of like aggressive dip or something that just didn't make sense and maybe people didn't understand it, then you can go and rebuy that share, those shares with that stockpile of cash. Yep. Right. So, you know, that's what I've done. And because I do that, you know, I'd say 10% of my positions are free. Wow. You know? with a surplus of cash to deploy. Now, the other thing, and this is just kind of a good trick that I've used since the beginning, um, you know, well, since like 2016. So you've heard me talk about like the Ides of March, right? Mm -hmm. So the Ides of March, it's a liquidity drain in pot stocks. And I've been talking about it for years. You know, it's usually my signal to take some off the table, come back in the summer when everything's at a discount. Now, because I, I trade by this, um, this calendar event, if any stock that I'm holding hits an all-time high in February, regardless of position size, regardless of hold a core, trade a core, 30% is coming off the table. Okay. Yeah. So because I do that, I'm not deploying that capital until the summer. So if I'm right about the company and the fundamentals are still good, I can buy it back 30% cheaper. And then if it gets back to where I sell, where I sold, I'm making 60% on that spread. Damn, yeah. You know? So if you think about it, you know, like think about, cause people are like, Oh, I don't have the money. Like if you've got stock, you've got money. Right. That's currency. You know, yeah. you can like, I've gotten myself in the situations where I bought something and it just kept dropping. And then I was just using the volatility to like, you know, get right. my average uh, to, a, 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 you know, a favorable level or a level where I can just get rid of it and not take a hit. Right. But a lot of times I end up accumulating bigger position size, you know, and then just kind of waiting it out. So you have to be an active investor in pot stocks. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's really what it comes down to. Um, and, and really anything, you know, until you're at that position where you're like, I've got what I, what I want and I can just sit and let it go. You know, like 
don't worry about the taxes. Don't worry about anything. It, right. it means a lot more to have insurance because I'll tell you, if I just sat on my position and didn't do that, one, my position sizes wouldn't be as large. Right. But the other part is when I see this, this down move, I would be very nervous, you know, for me to lose money on, I'll give you an example. There's a stock that I, my entry was $7. Okay. It's my biggest position. That's that stock ran to 18, came back. It's at like nine now. In order for me to lose money, it's going to have to go under $2. That's powerful. Yeah. Hey, Costco. No, it's, uh, oh, okay. you know, and then no. sometimes like if I get into a trade and let's say it just rips, you know, it goes a hundred percent, sell 50%. Right. You no know? risk-free trade. Right. You know, and like, yeah, but there's that. And then the only other thing that I would say is, you know, is if you're trading, you shouldn't just trade cannabis. Right. right. You, you go insane. Like, you know, like I don't even really look at the, the day to day stuff. No you way. Go nuts. Yeah. yeah. You go nuts. Right. So, like, you know, when, when I trade, you know, like I trade everything, you know, and, and if I could go back and give myself only one piece of advice, it would be to take the money from your trades or 50% of that money, especially with options and roll that money into stocks that you know are bulletproof. Right. Hell yeah. Right? Because, yep. you know, everybody likes to roll their profits into the next trade, but it's like jumping out of a plane. The more you jump out of a plane, like you jump out of a plane once, go, your shoot's going to open. You're not going to have a problem. You jump out of a plane a thousand times, I can promise you, you're going to have a malfunction. Yeah. You right. know, and it's always that trade where you, where you YOLO into it because you're like, oh, I have profit from this other trade that blows you up. And right. think about all the bad trades you've made after having a good trade right. and thinking like, hey, I'm going to put 50% of that money into Boeing or Apple or whatever, right. you know, or a distressed um, sector like transportation, like right now. You know, I mean, that's what I, so during COVID, obviously I'm trading a lot of tech, right? Mm -hmm. This tech's hot. It got hammered. You can get leverage. You're trading Roku, trading Apple, trading Spy, whatever. And I'm rolling those profits into, you know, Exxon, Chevron, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, um, Spirit Airlines, Alaska. And people are like, why the hell are you buying Spirit Airlines? Like, nobody's flying. I was like, yeah, no shit. Right. Are you ever going to fly again? <laughs> right right you know like are you ever going to put gas in your car again you know so like i was buying exxon from 40 down to 32 yeah i didn't care it it was money that was profit from another trade because i go by 50 percent of the profit goes into these long-term ideas 25 mm -hmm. percent goes to paying yourself and 25 percent goes to increasing your buying power deal with the taxes later you know and yep. then I'm amassing these positions. And then, you know, like the week after, a couple of days after the election, they're like, hey, we've got a vaccine. And everything's like, <laughs> right. You know, and what I found was when I was doing this, I, I basically turned my account into a video game and I stopped losing. I, you know, like, I mean, not that I, 
I get myself into risky trades. I hate losing money, but you know, I go from taking profit twice a week to taking profit three times a week. Um, and having an understanding for, uh, you know, a bunch of these things. And, and also the knowledge that if we ever go through something like this again, like this is the way. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. You got the blueprint. Definitely. Yeah. So like, I can't wait till they raise interest rates. Like I right. can't, like I'm, I'm already planning. I'm already setting money aside for it, you know, because I know exactly what I'm going to be going after. I'm going to be going after Apple calls. I'm going to be going after Kathy Woods, like ETF calls yeah. because she's just got tech and it's going to get destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not going to buy puts. I'll buy puts after the first bounce, okay. you know, and then I just wait. And then you buy like expensive options six months out that are, you know, like pretty near the money. And then you just wait and then you just don't have to do anything yeah. because the market's going to recover. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Reed, what else you got going on on that, on that notepad? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, it's getting a little bit late here. I'm sure you want to get dinner. It's obviously, it's kind of dark now where, where I'm at. Um, didn't turn the light on, but, uh, Man, yeah, I I think we've covered just about everything I wanted to. Um, all right, one question though, I guess this might be uh, you're a Florida guy, so you might be able to give us a little more insight on this. And you know, if it's if it's a touchy subject, you don't want to talk about it. Um, that's sure. fine. But uh, you, I, I want to ask your opinion on on True Leave um, and kind of what's gone on there um, over the over the last couple of months here. Um, and are, are you still, you know, are you a, a True Leave supporter? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a truly supporter. I love Kim. Um, you know, Kim, Kim is one of the best operators in the space. Um, I don't even want to say that she's one of the best female operators. She's yeah, just definitely. one of the right. best operators, period. Um, it's a great company. Uh, it completely dominates the state of Florida. And, you know, once recreational uh, marijuana passes in this state, which probably, you know, 2024, if I had the yeah, okay. date, I mean, they're going to just absolutely destroy people because, you know, look, they open, uh, they, they open shops like crazy, which means that their um, patient acquisition is just firing on all cylinders. Um, so they're going to have um, just a massive consumer base in a state that sees 100 million tourists a year. Yeah, now, right. I think that, you know, um, companies like Cureleaf um, will also do really well in Florida. But, you know, um, truly hands down does, uh, you know, will just completely dominate this area. But... You know, they're also expanding to other areas, you know, West Virginia, um, I think West Virginia, so. Arizona, Pennsylvania, um, Kim Smart. Oh, Georgia, which is, uh, you know, they just got one. one of the tier one licenses over there. there um, yeah. You know, look, people like to um, to talk shit about True Leave. Um, you know, it, it, it's fine. You know, I don't think that the shareholders really care. I think everybody's very happy. Um, if there was cause for concern, I'd be the first one to say, hey, there's cause for concern, right? 
Um, and you know, like, look, Kim, Kim bought me a track suit that says wolf on it. Um, <laughs> I think I saw you wearing that one in the, yeah, uh, one the- <laughs> and, but, but like, you know, and this goes for any company that I own, you know, if, if there's an issue, um, I have no problem voicing my opinion about it. Um, and that's how you have to, to be as an investor. Yeah. Um, you know, all too often people like to treat it as their like favorite sports team, right? Your favorite sports team can fuck up, you know? Right. Um, you know, just ask, uh, Ohio state. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you there, man. Um, well, yeah. So again, thank you so much for all this time. You know, you, you gave us a dubs and a don't. So right now, uh, you know, Reed and my Reed's taking a little tolerance break. You know, I had to myself just uh, with some different things going on in the uh, job market. But I was curious if you're, you know, as a cannabis patient, um, you know, for the strains of the week, is there uh, anything you've been, uh, you know, smoking on this week or any edibles, anything like that you want to give a no. shout out to? So I have a, fr- so um, my friend in Michigan, he owns uh, Cannaboys. I don't know if you ever heard. Oh of yeah, it. yeah. I go to Michigan a lot for okay. For yeah, yeah. He, he's got the best weed. Oh, he they gave, me, fire he gave me a little gift. Okay, we got some seeds. What are those? Ooh. Um, they're 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 not out yet. Um, okay. Oh, let's go. But uh, you know, I'm 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 prepping for for the for planting them. Um, yeah, you know, he's got uh, this one strain called Dinosaur Food. Okay. It's like yeah, I've smoked that. I've been up to a few cannabis cups in Detroit. Yeah, that's it's stuff floors you. I mean, honestly, like sativa in Michigan, I would say. You know, I, like I'm a dad now, so right. um, <laughs> I don't get to smoke weed as much as I used to. I mean, in right. college I had a six foot bong called the Green Mile. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you could if you could clear the tube, you could sign it. And there weren't many signatures on that thing. Yeah. Now, if I tried to, I would, I'd cough myself to death. Um, oh. My tolerance is pretty much nothing. Like if I eat an edible, right. like I eat a five milligram edible, like I'm, I'm floored. Right. I gave my dad a bag of edibles because I just came back from the Vegas show. Yeah. A bag, he ate the entire bag. He's like, it didn't do anything. I was like, right. That's yeah, like that, so, that dad strength, right? Like grown man. Yeah, like, yeah, old man. Dude, he's 77 years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't, I can't leave the guy alone with my weed. He smokes up. Like you give this guy a vape. Like my friend comes from LA, always brings him vapes. And I'm like, hey, dad, you got that vape? He's like, oh, I went through that. I'm like, dad, that, that should last you a month. It's like, huh? He's, he goes through these things in like three days. Yeah, like, that, that's going to be me when I'm older. <laughs> I went to Spain for a month and my dad was watching my house. That dude smoked all of my weed. <laughs> He's like, what is this? What is this powder? I'm like, that's dinosaur food, Keith. Gone. Gone. And then he says like, oh, you said I could take it. He plays the, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm forgetful. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. don't pull that shit off. You smoke my weed. It's okay. Oh, that's great, yeah. man. Well, hey, yeah. Jason, thank you so much, man. Um, we would love to, you know, have you back on sometime. We'll definitely be yeah, chopping we'll it up. We'll do this again. We'll do this again. I'll wear a Michigan shirt. There you go. Yeah, I brought, uh, I had a couple of these rings. You know, I know uh, I sent them to you on uh, on Twitter, but, you know, oh, I, yeah, I got them. one of those. <laughs>
Oh, there it is. Yes, sir. But uh, again, man, thank you so much. Uh, Jason Spatafora, the Wolf of Weed Street here on the Stash of the Passive podcast with Dr. B on the traffic report. Thank you, thank you again, my friend. Thanks, guys. And welcome back, folks. Here we are on the weather report. Like I said earlier, I've been listening to punk rock and eating red meat all day. And if you're watching this video, you can see that I got the mohawk going as well. And the mustache is looking extra fluffy. I might even take a nap on it later tonight. But how could I do that? Because it's on my face. Well, I guess someone else is going to have to take a nap on this extra fluffy pillow I got growing under my nose but here we are on the weather report and i just wanted to check in like we said earlier we were just going to check in on a few things and that is this market now we are at a current market cap at about 2.5 trillion dollars and something we're experiencing right now in this healthy dip and this healthy correction bitcoin's market cap is under 1 trillion dollars for the first time in quite some time and that's not necessarily a good sign But like we always say, when the king moves, they're all going to move, folks. And right now, Bitcoin is experiencing about a 6% dip in the last 24 hours, putting it at about 53,000, right under 53,000 feet or so, depending what exchange you're looking at. But like we said, when the king moves, they all move. And Bitcoin just took a nice 6.5% correction in the last 24 hours. So we're seeing it across the board. Ethereum down about 8%, BNB 6%, Sol 12%, Luna 11%, and the list goes on and on, folks. And a couple of those metaverse plays, if you follow us on Instagram or on Twitter, you've seen what we've been getting into with mana and sand and whatnot. So a couple of the smaller ones that we just decided to roll the dice on a little bit, if you will, for this upcoming altcoin season, fingers crossed. And that is a UFO and VRA. And both of those as well are down 13%, 14%. We actually decided to pull the lever on Atlas as well. And that's also down about 10%. So this is the time, folks. You know, this is crypto. It's a volatile market. It's going to be volatile. Are we entering a bear market? I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing. I have conviction. I believe in this space. And I'm excited about this space. I'm excited about the future. So uh, I'm going to be holding and I'm going to be adding to my bounties. So again, folks, this is not financial advice. This is just friendly advice. We're just going for a ride and trying to bring people with us as well. But again, I really hope you enjoyed what you heard on the show tonight. You know, next up here on the culture report is just about that. And uh, it's about bringing people together. And like we always say, it's about loving each other. It's about spreading that love. But before we can do that, like we always say, you got to be able to look in the mirror and love that person that's looking back at you the most. Because when you love yourself and you stop judging yourself, you're going to be able to show and express love even more. And you're going to stop judging each other so much. And the last thing I just want to leave with is just a reminder to everyone out there. And I talked about this and spoke about this a little bit last week. And that is to lean into things that you may not agree with. Now, I routinely try to consume more information that I don't agree with in hopes that it may change my mind, or at least it is going to make me have to understand what I already believe in from a different angle 
or I may have to put myself, like I was saying earlier, in someone else's shoes and understand it through their perspective and try to understand their experience more. Because the last thing you ever want to do is only listen to and consume things that you already agree with or that you already believe in. Lean into the unknown. Try new things. Learn more. If you believe in something, then go consume the information that may make you change your mind. It's only going to help you understand it more, or it may help you look from a different angle and outside yourself from another perspective. And that's the beauty of life. That's the beauty of coming together and bringing people with you. The goal should not be to prove somebody wrong. The goal should always be to prove someone right. Like I don't go out and try to do things to prove someone wrong. I want to go out and experience things so I know if what I'm doing or what I believe in is right, or if there is some opportunity to try and believe in something new. I may have rambled on a little bit there, but at the end of the day, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And that's a wrap, folks. It's your host, Jeff Shugard, signing off here on the Stash It or Pass It podcast. Your weekly report for everything crypto, cannabis, and culture. And like I always say, don't forget to check those show notes. We have some incredible referral links. One in particular, I finally said it. I said it right. In particular, I've been practicing on that one, folks, is Letters to the Universe, the newest book out from the love of my life, Kelsey Aida. Check it out. It is an interactive affirmations journal. It's coming out in January. You can pre-order it right now, and it's going to be on shelves at Barnes & Noble. But the more pre-orders we get, the more books are going to be on those shelves, baby. So if you want to surprise everyone you love with the best stocking stuffer or the best New Year's resolution gift, letters to the universe, baby. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, my friends. Stash it.